The Confessions of Arsène Lupin by Maurice Leblanc Narrated by Paul Spera The Invisible Prisoner One day, at about four o'clock, as evening was drawing in, Farmer Gusso, with his four sons, returned from a day's shooting. They were stalwart men, all five of them, long of limb, broad-chested, with faces tanned by sun and wind. And all five displayed, planted on enormous neck and shoulders, the same small head with the low forehead, thin lips, beaked nose, and hard and repellent cast of countenance. They were feared and disliked by all around them. They were a money-grubbing, crafty family, and their word was not to be trusted. On reaching the old Barbican wall that surrounds the Heberville property, the farmer opened a narrow, massive door, putting the big key back in his pocket after his sons had passed in. And he walked behind them, along the path that led through the orchards. Here and there stood great trees stripped by the autumn winds, and clumps of pines, the last survivors of the ancient park now covered by old Gusso's farm. One of the sons said, I hope mother has lit a log or two. There's smoke coming from the chimney, said the father. The outhouses and the homestead showed at the end of a lawn, and above them the village church, whose steeple seemed to prick the clouds that trailed along the sky. "'All the guns unloaded?' asked old Gusso. "'Mine isn't,' said the eldest. "'I slipped in a bullet to blow a kestrel's head off.' He was the one who was proudest of his skill, and he said to his brothers, "'Look at that bough at the top of the cherry tree. See me snap it off.' On the bough sat a scarecrow, which had been there since spring, and which protected the leafless branches with its idiot arms. He raised his gun and fired. The figure came tumbling down with large comic gestures, and was caught on a big lower branch, where it remained lying stiff on its stomach, with a great top hat on its head of rags, and its hay-stuffed legs swaying from right to left, above some water that flowed past the cherry tree through a wooden trough. They all laughed. The father approved. Fine shot, my lad. Besides, the old boy was beginning to annoy me. I couldn't take my eyes from my plate at meals without catching sight of that oaf. They went a few steps further. They were not more than thirty yards from the house when the father stopped suddenly and said, Hello, what's up? The sons also had stopped and stood listening. One of them said, under his breath, Comes from the house in the linen room. And another spluttered. Sounds like moans. And mother's alone. Suddenly a frightful scream rang out. All five rushed forward. Another scream followed by cries of despair. We're here! We're coming! shouted the eldest who was leading. And as it was a roundabout way to the door, he smashed in a window with his fist and sprang into the old people's bedroom. The room next to it was the linen room in which Mother Gousseau spent most of her time. Damnation, he said, seeing her lying on the floor with blood all over her face. Dad! Dad! 
What? Where is she? roared old Gusso, appearing on the scene. Good Lord, what's this? What have they done to your mother? She pulled herself together and, with outstretched arms, stammered, Run after him! This way, this way, I'm all right, only a scratch or two, but run! He's taken the money! The father and sons gave a bound. He's taken the money? bellowed old Gusso, rushing to the door to which his wife was pointing. He's taken the money! Stop! Thief! But a sound of several voices rose at the end of the passage through which the other three sons were coming. I saw him! I saw him! So did I! He ran up the stairs! No, 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 there he is! He's coming down again! A mad steeplechase shook every floor in the house. Farmer Gusso, on reaching the end of the passage, caught sight of a man standing by the front door trying to open it. If he succeeded, it meant safety, escape through the market square and the back lanes of the village. Interrupted as he was fumbling at the bolts, the man turning stupid, lost his head, charged at old Gusso, and sent him spinning, dodged the eldest brother, and, pursued by the four sons, doubled back down the long passage, ran into the old couple's bedroom, flung his legs through the broken window, and disappeared. The sons rushed after him across the lawns and orchards, now darkened by the falling night. Villain's done for, chuckled old Gusseau. There's no way out for him. <laughs> the walls are too high. He's done for. The scoundrel. The two farmhands returned at that moment from the village, and he told them what had happened and gave each of them a gun. If the swine shows his nose anywhere near the house, he said, let fly at him. Give him no mercy. He told them where to stand, went to make sure that the farm gates, which were only used for the carts, were locked, and, not till then, remembered that his wife might perhaps be in need of aid. "'Well, mother, how goes it?' "'Where is he? Have you got him?' she asked in a breath. "'Yes, we're after him. The lads must have collared him by now.' The news quite restored her, and a nip of rum gave her the strength to drag herself to the bed with old Gusso's assistance and to tell her story. For that matter, there was not much to tell. She had just lit the fire in the living hall, and she was knitting quietly at her bedroom window, waiting for the men to return, when she thought that she heard a slight grating sound in the linen room next door. I must have left the cat in there, she thought to herself. She went in suspecting nothing, and was astonished to see the two doors of one of the linen cupboards, the one in which they hid their money, wide open. She walked up to it, still without suspicion. There was a man there, hiding, with his back to the shelves. "'But how did he get in?' asked old Gusso. "'Through the passage, I suppose. We never keep the back door shut.' "'And then did he go for you?' "'No, I went for him. He tried to get away.' "'You should have let him.' "'What about the money?' "'Had he taken it by then?' "'Had he taken it? I saw the bundle of banknotes in his hand, the sweet. I sooner would have let him kill me. Oh, we had a sharp tussle, I give you my word. Then he had no weapon? No more than I did. We had our fingers, our nails, and our teeth. Look here, where he bit me, and I yelled and screamed. Only, I'm an old woman, you see? I had to let go of him. Do you know the man? Pretty sure it was old Trenard. The tramp? Why, of course it's old Trenard, cried the farmer. I thought I knew him, too. Besides, he's been hanging round the house for the last three days. The old vagabond must have smelt the money. 
Aha, Trinard, my man. Let's have some fun. A number one hiding place, and then the police. I say, mother, you can get up now, can't you? Then go and fetch the neighbors. Ask them to run for the gendarmes. By the by, the attorney's youngster has a bicycle. How that damned old Trainard scooted. <laughs> He's got good legs for his age, he has. He can run like a hare. Gusso was holding his sides, reveling in the occurrence. He risked nothing by waiting. No power on earth could help the tramp escape or keep him from the sound. No power on earth could help the tramp escape or keep him from the sound thrashing which he had earned and from being conveyed under safe escort to the town jail. The farmer took a gun and went out to his two laborers. Anything fresh? No, Farmer Gusso, not yet. We shan't have long to wait, unless old Nick carries him over the walls. From time to time they heard the four brothers hailing one another in the distance. The old bird was evidently making a fight for it, was more active than they would have thought. Still, with sturdy fellows like the Gusso brothers. However, one of them returned, looking rather crestfallen, and made no secret of his opinion. It's no use keeping on at it for the present. It's pitch dark. The old chap must have crept into some hole. We'll hunt him out tomorrow. Tomorrow? Why, lad, you're out of your mind, protested the farmer. The eldest son now appeared, quite out of breath, and was of the same opinion as his brother. Why not wait till the next day, seeing the ruffian was as safe within the property as between the walls of a prison? Well, I'll go myself, cried old Gusso. Light me a lantern, somebody. But at that moment, three gendarmes arrived, and a number of village lads also came up to hear the latest. The sergeant of the gendarmes was a man of method. He first insisted on hearing the whole story in full detail. Then he stopped to think. Then he questioned the four brothers separately and took his time for reflection after each deposition. When he had learned from them that the tramp had fled toward the back of the estate, that he had been lost sight of repeatedly, and that he had finally disappeared near a place known as the Crow's Knoll, he meditated once more and announced his conclusion. Better wait. Old Trinar might slip through our hands amidst all the confusion of a pursuit in the dark, and then, good night, everybody. The farmer shrugged his shoulders and, cursing under his breath, yielded to the sergeant's arguments. That worthy man organized a strict watch, distributed the brothers Gusso and the lads from the village under his men's eyes, made sure that the ladders were locked away, and established his headquarters in the dining room, where he and Farmer Gusso sat and nodded over a decanter of old brandy. The night passed quietly. Every two hours, the sergeant went his rounds and inspected the posts. There were no alarms. Old Trainard did not budge from his hole. The battle began at break of day. It lasted four hours. In those four hours, the thirteen acres of land within the walls were searched, explored, gone over in every direction by a score of men who beat the bushes with sticks, trampled over the tall grass, rummaged in the hollows of the trees, and scattered the heaps of dry leaves. And old Trinard remained invisible. Well, this is a bit thick, growled Gusso. 
beats me altogether, retorted the sergeant. And indeed, there was no explaining the phenomenon, for after all, apart from a few old clumps of laurels and spindle trees, which were thoroughly beaten, all the trees were bare. There was no building, no shed, no stack, nothing, in short, that could serve as a hiding place. As for the wall, a careful inspection convinced even the sergeant that it was physically impossible to scale it. In the afternoon, the investigations were begun all over again in the presence of the examining magistrate and the public prosecutor's deputy. The results were no more successful. Nay, worse, the officials looked upon the matter as so suspicious that they could not restrain their ill-humor and asked, Are you quite sure, Farmer Gusso, that you and your sons haven't been seeing double? And what about my wife? retorted the farmer, red with anger. Did she double when the scamp had her by the throat? Go and look at the marks if you doubt me. Very well, but then where is the scamp? Here, between these four walls. Very well, then ferret him out. We give it up. It's quite clear that if a man were hidden within the precincts of this farm, we should have found him by now. I swear I'll lay hands on him, true as I stand here, shouted Farmer Gusso. It shall not be said that I've been robbed of six thousand francs. Yes, six thousand. There were three cows I sold, and with the wheat crop, and then the apples, six thousand franc notes, which I was just going to take to the bank. Well, I swear to heaven that the money's as good as in my pocket. That's all right, and I wish you luck said the examining magistrate as he went away, followed by the deputy and the gendarmes. The neighbors also walked off in a more or less facetious mood, and by the end of the afternoon none remained but the Gussos and the two farm laborers. Old Gusso at once explained his plan. By day they were to search. At night they were to keep an incessant watch. It would last as long as it had to. Hang it, old Trenard was a man like other men. And men have to eat, men drink. Old Trinar must needs, therefore, come out of his earth to eat and drink. At most, said Gusso, he can have a few crusts of bread in his pocket, or even pull up a root or two at night. But as far as drink's concerned, no go. There's only the spring. He'll be a clever dog if he gets near that. He himself that evening took up his stand near the spring. Three hours later, his eldest son relieved him. The other brothers and the farmhands slept in the house, each taking his turn of the watch and keeping all the lamps and candles lit so that there might be no surprise. So it went on for fourteen consecutive nights, and for fourteen days, while two of the men and Mother Gusso remained on guard, the five others explored the Heberville ground. At the end of that fortnight, not a sign.